This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Whether you're looking for Magic the Gathering sealed product or singles you need to complete your deck, Card Kingdom has what you're looking for. With international shipping, my listeners in Canada, Australia, the UK, Germany, Sweden, Brazil, and Belgium can all enjoy receiving packages from Card Kingdom. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link when you shop. Just go to cardkingdom.com KTM. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. Paragon City Games in Draper, Utah has a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll also find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. If you're near Draper, Utah, Paragon City Games is a wonderful place for the local magic community to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm speaking with Emma Handy, writer at Star City Games, competitor on the SCG Tour, and Magic streamer. Emma is very thoughtful when it comes to writing her articles because she's an educator at heart. Emma started in Yu-Gi-Oh! and joined the Magic community for a better culture and player attitude. After playing Magic at her local card store, Emma quickly became competitive to play at SCG Opens. Emma wrote about her experiences as a trans woman in the competitive Magic community and that has resonated with many people. She cares deeply about making the community an inclusive and welcoming place. In the interview, Emma and I also play Magic's 15th most popular format, Flip It or Rip It. I hope you enjoy my interview with charming Emma Handy. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the wonderful Emma Handy. Emma, how are you? pretty great. I can't complain too awful much. I, uh, you know, I don't have to go into work until later this afternoon. So, uh, you know, getting to sleep in is nice. Emma, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. You, uh, thanks for having me. This is, this is great. Where are you joining us from? Um, I am in Western North Carolina at the moment. I live in Asheville. Very cool. And I'm here in Seattle, Washington. A little bit of a time zone difference there. Not too bad, but, you know, I guess it's a bit earlier in the morning for you than it is for me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Emma, I really appreciate you being here, and I really wanted to start at the beginning. When did you find Magic? Um, Well, the first time I ever played Magic, so it was at a card store my friend and I went to. Um, I played Yu-Gi-Oh! And they were hosting magic tournaments. And it was it was pretty clear the shop owner just cared more about magic than Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh-huh. So, around Dark Steel is when I first started playing magic. So, 2003-ish. Yeah, it, it was a really bad time to be a noob. <laughs> I didn't know it because Yu-Gi-Oh! doesn't have mana. So, I didn't understand why, you know, playing four things on the first turn was so busted. They would just do it and on... Turn three, they kill me, and I just go, wow, their deck's really powerful, and didn't really understand that it was inherently insane that they could play with Skull Clamp. 
<laughs> so you started kind of like in Mirrored and Block, specifically in Dark Steel. Um, did you just play casually and did you just go to FNM, or did you at that point say, you know, I've really uh, the the magic bug has bit me and I really want to play competitively now? Oh, I was bad. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was um I was very I was kind of the um oh I I was very casual. I was um I was the kid who kind of would just sort their cards in the back table and not really talk to people and just kind of liked looking at my cards and putting them in different ways in my binder and uh you know played mono green tree folk for most of Lorwyn Block. Sweet. I got really competitive or at least started traveling around New Phyrexia. But um, the first five, six, seven years of play was like me playing life gain decks. And, um, you know, my constructed decks were pretty bad. I was pretty okay at limited. I was definitely not competitive. Yeah, I think every Magic player has that phase when they first get started off. The life gain deck is so appealing, right? Because like when you learn the rules of the game, uh, it's like, don't lose life. You only have 20 life. And so pros are always talking about, you know, when you get first started off, it's like the life loss is always so detrimental. People like shy away from the life loss. Oh, yeah. And one of the more expensive cards at the card store I went to was Necropotence when I first started. And I just thought they were crazy. I was like, that must just be really rare or something because that card's horrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was definitely something uh, Randy Bueller and uh, Brian Weissman talked about. It's just like playing 1994 Magic with like Necropotence and all that. It's just like players just didn't realize like, why do I want to pay life to draw cards? Or like, you know, that kind of like mentality about the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, Emma, when did you decide that you wanted to play, you know, competitively? You said sometime around New Phyrexia. So that was right around when I graduated high school. And that was just kind of like a turning point for me where I had a few different hobbies. I just kind of needed to get to a point where I wasn't spending a bunch of money on all of my hobbies or I wasn't losing money all the time. For a while, actually playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and trading Yu-Gi-Oh! and vending it was my job. Then that translated to magic, just kind of figured out how to be competitive in Yu-Gi-Oh! Instead of that, went to a game with more integrity and magic. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I did uh, hear before or read somewhere that you were a vendor and that you like knew a lot about Yu-Gi-Oh! But could you share a little bit more about you, know, you wanting to make the jump from one game to this game, Magic the Gathering? So I played Yu-Gi-Oh! for... I, I want to say that was my only source of income for about eight months or so. And it was pretty lucrative, but you just, it wasn't, the community in Yu-Gi-Oh! is not as good as the community in Magic. And I still have been going to that same store for, that I mentioned previously for probably, ooh, geez. I went there for about 12, 13 years or so. I went there longer than the current owner, if that says anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they were primarily a magic store and there came a point where I just realized pretty quickly that even if Yu-Gi-Oh could be somewhat lucrative, it wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to do and I just wasn't happy doing it. And, um, I was quite happy with the people who played magic and even if they were there, they were all better than me. I decided that I would want to play with them and try to get better and progress and see how far I could take it. Wow, that is so cool because like what I'm hearing is that you already knew about, you know, TCGs and you were also uh, very knowledgeable and you were having an income from it and you were quite competitive at that time with Yu-Gi-Oh! But you found that the Magic community was a better community and, that, and that's what really drew you into playing Magic more. 
Yeah, they're and I won't. I say lucrative with Yu-Gi-Oh as if it sounds like I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not <laughs> the case. But I made more money in that six months of Yu-Gi-Oh than I made in the two years after that. There's a point where just some things are more important than money. You know, it's just more important to do something you love or to be happy or to not be embarrassed about what you're doing. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. When did you feel like you had like a level up moment in your competitive magic playing? I think most people's competitive magic, or not even competitive, just magic playing has several, several uh, steps where you get a little bit better and you get markedly better and you get get to a noticeably higher level and so on and so forth. There aren't necessarily right and wrong ways to win at magic. I mean, obviously cheating is the wrong way. I'm not condoning doing shady things or angle shots or whatever. But there was a turning point for me where, you know, there's always this trope where aggro decks are easy to play or um, control decks are harder. And um, I went on a pretty great win streak at IQs with Tempered Steel for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. When I just realized that it's okay to play aggro decks. Aggro decks are like the mat. You don't get points for cleverness. I think it's Zach Hill that coined the term. <laughs> like, no one's going to go, you know what? That person played this Bant control deck and, uh, they beat Mar- like this Marty Vehicles person is doing it the easy way. I think, I think we should help this Bant control decks breakers out. Like, that's just not how it works. One of the more important turning points for me was realizing that they're, Match points are match points, and that's just kind of what it comes down to when it, you when you're looking at actual gameplay. That is so interesting, Emma. Do you consider yourself quintessentially an aggro player, or a control player, or a mid range player, or a combo player? <laughs> I don't know. It's really tough. One of the thing I I almost think in a lot of ways I'm flexible to a fault where there isn't some overarching theme that I'm better or very, very good at. I'm pretty reasonable at most things. I'd say I'm the weakest at control. And um, if I had to pick a single a single type of deck where I'm the most comfortable, I would say I'm a mediocre beatdown player. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's to say I'm quite good with the decks that are combo decks at their core. But when the combo doesn't work, you're just beating them down with a bunch of tutus. You know, your Malira <laughs> company or four-color rally or um, the aristocrat-style decks, the things where you just flood the board and go, well, uh, I'm either going to combo kill you, and if you try to interact me, hopefully five tutus can get the job done. (laughs) So, Emma, you played competitively, and you really saw a moment where you did level up, and you also are talking about these different levels of, like, level-up moments, I guess you could call it. Um, When did you start writing for, like, SCG? So I wrote previously for Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, the articles weren't very good, but um, it was a way to get myself out there. And that kind of improved my brand as someone who is vending or trading for a living or what have you. But uh, as far as magic, I really started writing magic articles December-ish, maybe the last week of November, but very late in 2015. Mm-hmm. That was around when they announced the season one of the uh, SC. G tour for 2016. With one exception, all of the events were within a seven hour drive of me. Uh huh. And um, I was getting towards the upper end of, I guess, what you'd call IQ or PPTQ grinders. It was a thing where I could pretty consistently top four better at those events. And I wanted to see if I could really grind or get to that next level or if I had what it takes to compete going to tournaments in the same tournament series every weekend. And I decided that if I did that, I would need help. It it was kind of a chain reaction where I thought, all right, 
I can't do this on my own. I just can't afford to travel on my own. I can't book my own hotel room and pay for all the gas and drive by myself and all this stuff every weekend. So as a result, I'm going to have to build up some sort of camaraderie in the community. And so I started writing articles to kind of just get myself out there and at least like show my personality a bit. And then I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That was just on originally on my Tumblr. And then I got picked up by a freebie website that is ran by some of the best people I've ever met. That's uh, cardconfidants.com. They're absolutely wonderful. It's uh, ran by Renee and Trevor. They're absolutely, absolutely wonderful people. And a few months into that, I wrote an article. Um, for anyone who isn't familiar, Sam Stoddard wrote an article back in the day called A Fearless Magical Inventory. It's where you kind of just... Uh, you go through and you itemize yourself as a magic player. You go, this, these are the things I'm best at. And you also go, these are the things I'm worst at. You need to be brutally honest. And you just, in a lot of ways, you tear yourself down. But it's so you can build yourself back up and learn what you need to improve on. You don't just go, well, this table leg is shaky. Guess it's shaky. You go, well, this table leg is shaky and that stinks but I'm going to fix this table leg. And I wrote one of those articles that in it, I commented that I cared a little bit too much about my appearance at tournaments rather than the game, just for reasons related to my being trans and dysphoric or having issues with my appearance and how I would appear to other people. And Aaron Campbell really related with the article as a result and showed my work to Evan Irwin who then picked me up for Gathering Magic. Mm -hmm. And I wrote for them for, I want to say, about four months. And then after a while, SCG took notice of me and were like, hey, you're just coming to all of our events anyway. You're friends with most of the writers on there. Do you just want to move over to us? And I moved to SCG, I want to say the second or third week of July last year. So I'm coming up on a year with them at this point. Wow, that is so cool. I really love hearing that because just like what you said earlier, Emma, about um, what's quintessential about the magic community is that uh, there's a lot of collaboration, there's a lot of sharing. And um, what you also mentioned about Sam Stoddard's uh, article about taking inventory, taking stock about what you are and who you what, what you have as a magic player. I think that's really fascinating as well. And I'm, I'm really excited to share the link to that article that you wrote as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that, it was one of my earlier ones. So I'm not a... I don't, I don't think it's the best, but I think it's aged reasonably just because the, the idea of the article or the, the groundwork, the foundation ages quite well. It's not format specific or anything. It's just, well, here's what you do. This is how you get better at magic. Mm -hmm. And Emma, when did you start streaming? Um, I started streaming back in December. Wow. I guess that was almost six months ago now. Um, I made a promise to myself basically all year last year. I kept coming really close to top eighting opens and missing. And I sort of made it like a deal with myself that if I top eighted one by the end of the year, at this point, it was like October. So I think I only had like five or six events to do it. If I top eighted one, I would put 100% of the prize money towards getting a streaming rig together. And I would like, I would really, I would just go harder this year. I wouldn't necessarily attend more events, but I would put more effort in. I would practice more. I would play tests better. I would try things I other I wouldn't otherwise. And um, I ended up top eighting the open in Knoxville um, on my birthday weekend in November. Sweet. And uh, that paid for a chunk of this. I also sold a lot of my commander cards to make up the difference. But uh, it's been an absolute blast. Streaming is just absolutely wonderful. I love it. 
What is your streaming schedule? Right now, it's a little bit up in the air. I My plan or what's posted on my Twitch is that I stream Monday, Thursday, and Friday nights, kind of later at night. I don't stream on Fridays on SCG Tour weekends because I'm usually traveling to the event site Friday nights. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's a little bit up in the air. I have picked up a day job, effectively, mm-hmm. that kind of eats into some of those times. I just wait tables a couple nights a week, but because I need to have weekends off for the SCG tour, that eats into my weeknights when I would otherwise be streaming. And uh, I'm looking at shifting my schedule to be more during the lunchtime. And when you stream, you're doing drafts? Are you doing standard, modern, legacy? I do just about everything but vintage. Uh, I've done Commander recently. I've done a lot of what I do will lean towards the more competitive side of things just because that's the audience I cater to. That's generally who are going to be interested in someone who's, you know, grinding a tour and writing for Star City. Lately, I've been doing a lot of limited just because there's the RPTQ coming up that's limited and I want to make sure that I'm prepared. That's very cool. And you play on the SCG Tour. Could you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about the decision that you had to play exclusively on the SCG Tour? Sure, absolutely. I think there's a lot of it where a lot of it's just self-awareness and that I understand I'm not as good at the people who are able to uh, dual grind. I, I, I don't think there's necessarily a term for it, but the people who can grind both the Pro Tour and the SCG Tour simultaneously, like... I I know I'm not Brad Nelson, for example. That's that's just the way it is, you know. Um, I'm not someone who I think can consistently stay on the Pro Tour and be successful on the SCG Tour. And the SCG Tour is more local to where I live, or it's just easier for me to travel to all of the SCG Tour events than it is to travel to Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. All of that, coupled with the fact that Grand Prix are just significantly harder to afford to keep going to. Yeah. Like the entry fees are twice as much. You have to do a lot better at Grand Prix. It felt really bad that um, some of my best finishes at Opens, where I got, you know, 500 bucks in prize money, was with an 11 4 finish. Uh-huh. Then the most recent Grand Prix I went to in Louisville, I finished 11 4 in Legacy and uh, proceeded to not cash the event. Huh. And it just felt really bad to come in like, you know, something in the high 60s or like 70th or something. I don't remember the exact place, but 70th-ish out of 1,700 people yeah. and walk out empty-handed. It's just harder to afford that before you're actually on some sort of train or something where you get appearance fees. I totally understand. I think from someone like from me as like a casual Magic player, like, you know, not competitive at all, to hear from someone who has been there to like understand a little bit more about what it does take to go to these big tournaments and show up and like post a great result. It's very challenging, you know, um, you know, from someone who is like not in understanding of how that all works just to be like, well, just go and play good Magic. And like you said, you're like coming in like 60th or 70th out of 1700 people. Like you're in a very top echelon of that entire room of people, but still it's like so challenging. You know, honestly, there are a lot of things where if you look at something to the effect of a magic convention, I think I still think Grand Prix are great. And I'm honestly probably going to start going to them because I've kind of got the fire to try harder to get to on the pro tour Mm -hmm. recently. But um I think Grand Prix are great as public events. I went to a, a Grand Prix last October and I brought three commander decks with me. And that is all of the cards I brought. <laughs> I did not even bring other sleeves and I just played commander and I drafted all weekend. 
And I got to the event site whenever I wanted. I got to sleep in Saturday and Sunday. It was a delight. It was so much fun. But I think as far as the tournament is concerned, I just think Grand Prix are not very good from the perspective of someone who, despite consistently doing reasonably at these events, still just can't make it affordable. Earlier, Emma, you were talking about having more of the drive and the and the fire to get onto the Pro Tour. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, you know, honestly, I almost so <laughs> I think it is more interesting when people don't have the fire. You know, that's a little localized, I guess, because for a long time I didn't. It wasn't something that mattered that much to me. And it still isn't at the top of my priorities. My ultimate goal in Magic is to try to end up in coverage. But um, until a, a couple of months ago, the Pro Tour just wasn't something I was particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of complications being trans and trying to travel outside of the country. So that was kind of a strike against it. The grind to actually try to get on the Pro Tour is also relatively cost prohibitive, especially if you're not already on the train, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You have to effectively top eight a Grand Prix or have a record that would let you top eight a Grand Prix, or you have to win a tournament that qualifies you for another tournament that a bunch of people won. And then you have to top four that tournament and you only get that one shot for each pro tour. Uh-huh. And then on top after that, you just have magic online and it just is, it's kind of hard to do to justify doing all of that when the pro tour might be in a country that I'm not even going to necessarily be a welcome person in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of my recent drive has just been I want to I want to compete with the best people in the game, I guess. <laughs> That's all there really is to it. There's not any there's not anything super fancy about it. I just want to compete and I want to know there's part of me that also just wants to know that I can do it. Right. I've been I've I've been in situations where I was effectively a couple of top decks away from qualifying for the Pro Tour. You know, Pro Tour qualifying, PTQ finals, um, I top 16, the only RPTQ I've been to. I've been really close a couple of times. I want to be able to go and know that I went or that I, if I am driven enough or that if I quote unquote care, that I can do it. One thing that I hear a lot from speaking with many of my other guests, um, all Magic players just want each other to be able to play the game and enjoy the game in whatever way that inspires them the most. And you've talked a lot about just having such a passion for the game and have a, such a love for the game that you just want to go out there and just play with the best players. And, you know, Emma, you also touched on, you know, the fact that sometimes you don't have access to be able to go to different countries. And sometimes, you know, being a trans woman, that's prohibitive. And other times, you are thinking about, oh, well, you know, am I really going to go to a country that is, you know, not particularly welcoming of me? Not too long ago, you wrote an article on Facebook about, you know, being a trans woman in the competitive magic community. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, on Twitter, there were people talking about differing experiences as women in magic. And a lot of what we have to go off of when listening to these people who have issues with magic and how they're treated in magic is just anecdotal evidence or stories. And a lot of their detractors, like they're people that don't think it's true, just say, well, that's just you. That's just an isolated incident. I think that's just at your game store or just flat out don't believe them. And I believe I have an incredibly unique experience in that I've played incredibly competitive or I've been very competitive in magic. 
um, while presenting as male and while presenting as female. Before I, I traveled and played competitive magic long before I transitioned. And if you look around, you can dredge up a couple of feature matches that pre-transition Emma was a part of and find my dead name and how I used to look and all that. And I'm, I don't sweat it, but that's more just to prove, quote unquote, that I've been to, I've been to Grand Prix, I've been to Opens, I've day two both of those things while presenting as male. And I just wanted to kind of shed some light and be like, no, no, guys, listen, these are real. These are some of the issues that were not issues before I transitioned and now are issues. And it feels like they're issues exclusively because people read me or uh, tag me, whatever you want to call it, as female. I'm always really bummed out when I see people on Twitter that's just like, man, it's such a bummer to see how chat has been in terms of coverage and then hearing stories of you know local game stores or small communities not being inclusive and welcoming and people, you know, sometimes on social media, even questioning the necessity for diversity. Like, I don't understand how that can be, but that's, you know, also kind of like naive to say that. It's just like, you know, it's the internet, it's the greater world. Not everyone is understanding and not everyone is inclusive. And, um, you know, if we're all here in this community playing Match of the Gathering, this game that we love, and it's very much a gathering of players, a community, and it's so community oriented, why wouldn't certain parts of the community seek to, to further grow this community? And so, um, yeah, that always kind of bums me out a little bit. And I wish I could do more. And I wish I could, like, think about ways to help. I think it's like whenever someone like you who has a strong voice in the community and is a very thoughtful and very intelligent and very successful magic player to be able to, you know, have the courage to speak up and and speak out and write articles like that to encourage other people and also spread these positive ideas. I think it really benefits the community. I mean, I can't complain. I've I've been blessed with a wonderful um, podium, I guess. No, podium's not the right word. Excuse me. Um, platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I've been blessed with the platform and, um, there's, I don't want to say I feel obligated, but there's this point where a lot of people, because I was relatively known in the Southeastern region or people knew who I was either from Yu-Gi-Oh! And then they came to magic and still knew who I was, or I just kind of traveled everywhere. I went to a lot of IQs all around, played a lot in the North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Virginia, that circle, um, lots of Kentucky. So it's not something I couldn't just undo or I couldn't unopen that barrel of monkeys. People knew that I was trans and I didn't think I would ever really be able to get away from the fact that I was trans. People would just know that I was uh, assigned male at birth and I used to present his male at magic tournaments and so on. So there's a point where, at least for me, where I figure if I can't hide it, then I might as well own it and try to make it better for other people who can't hide it. And also with the way the game is evolving and how coverage is expanding, there's always talk about having more women in the community and having more female voices and female faces, you know, on air playing the game. And we have prominent women like you and like Erin Campbell and Magic the Amateuring, Megan and Maria. And now I think Maria is also doing coverage. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of like good things to come out of that because we have a much greater diversity of voices. Um, you know, not to be a downer here, but there's also like the Twitch chat being, you know, quintessentially toxic. And then also like that rhetoric and a lot of people rolling their eyes and lamenting and, oh, you know, we had such a great pro tour and we're making such great strides. But there's also like these issues that still have to be addressed in the community. Part of my issue is it almost feels like with every... I don't think victory is the right word. With every step taken, it almost feels like so many people are like, there, you happy? 
Is that enough? Hmm. It's really frustrating whenever people, you had mentioned the uh, rhetoric involved with people going, well, we don't have to be inclusive or they can just go somewhere else. It's really frustrating when you have to deal with that as if because it, it just feels like these people just either don't want the game to grow because that that's effectively what it takes for the game to get bigger than it is now is right. for it to be more accessible to more people. I just don't I don't know. It just feels so frustrating when people bring up that kind of talk. I, I don't know. It's, it's not a. I just don't think it's an obligation where you, you don't have to be inclusive. You get to be inclusive. You get to have more people play your game. You get to beat more people. You get to compete with more people. You either get to be better or worse than more people. That's really all there is to it. It's just really frustrating when people act, especially in public places. You'll see, you know, FNM or even just GPTs or PPTQs. People go, well, if they don't want to come to this store, then they can just not freaking come. Well, um, that's not how public works. You conduct yourself in a better way. That's kind of how it all, there's a social contract associated with going outside of your house in that other people have agreed to leave their houses and you will treat one another with a certain level of respect. And that tends to go unchecked at a lot of local game stores. Yeah, I absolutely agree with what you just said, Emma, about, you know, going back to the first point, which is if we all love this game and we all love this community and we want to nurture this community, the best thing that we can do is be inclusive and allow more people to join us, right? Grow the game. That's probably the best thing that we can do for Magic the Gathering. The next thing that you said was is just the common decency to be a good human being. It's just to be if you're out in public and just and be and just be like, I'm at a local game store, which is open to the public. And, uh, you know, yeah, just to be a good human being, you know, and um, one thing that I am very glad of is that there are just enough people that are in the magic community, online, offline, in local communities that are willing to put their foot down and to step up and be like, we want a diverse, inclusive community and we welcome everyone. That's been a sentiment that's been echoed with so many different people. And I'm also very happy to see that Wizards, Wizards is also pushing that 100%. And it's not that they're just pushing it because it's like a token, you know, corporate thing. That is something that they believe in. You know, they're here up here in, in Renton, Washington, south of Seattle. That's the people that work there, the people that create the company. That's something that they believe in as well. So many people, you'll see people in, in the same breath go, God, I hate that or mock magic streams for getting our best event is 40,000 viewers or whatever. And that's, that's a huge achievement for magic Twitch. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But that's an average weekend for a Hearthstone streamer. And people will complain about having to be inclusive and then also complain that magic's numbers are half of other games. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that all of those games are more inclusive, but if you're kicking out fresh faces of the game or making people never want to be a part of what you're doing again, then you're not going to get those numbers up. You're not going to have more people playing your game. You know, you're going to get what you want. You're if, if you're trying to have that club feel or whatever, you're going to have your little club with your eight people send at Friday Night Magic, the same eight people that have been there forever, which is hopefully enough to keep your local game stores doors open and never getting any bigger than that. I just, I, I don't understand the thought, God, you know, we could have more people, but I also really want to have a scantily clad girl on my, on my sleeves, you know, like a 14 year old girl who looks like she's from an anime. Yeah. But, uh, you know, instead of that, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have my local game store make less money and have my F and M be smaller. Yeah. 
That's unfortunate. I, I just can't imagine that line of thinking. Emma, absolutely. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts about what we can do as a community to help grow the community and also, you know, kind of talk about some of those things that bum us out. But on a lighter note, would you like to play a game that many people find offensive in the magic community, flip it or rip it? Yeah, yeah, that is exactly what I would like to do. There's there's no short or joke here. Yeah, that, that sounds great. <laughs> okay, and for the listening audience, the game Flip It or Rip It um, requires having some boosters that I have here. I don't know if you can hear the rapper sound. Uh, so I have a booster here. Normally you do it in person, but Emma is with me now through the interweb. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the booster pack. We're not going to look at any of the cards, or at least I'm not. And then I'm going to pick one, and then Emma's going to pick one. So Emma's going to magically pick one through the internet. But we'll basically (laughs) not look at the ones that Emma picks, and Emma will basically tear them up immediately, and then I'll flip them. So that we'll stop if we flip the rare. But if you don't flip the rare in the pack, well, I guess that's where people get really offended, because the damage is done. So um, I hope the rules are fairly clear, and this is what we'll also do. For whatever uh, rares, if they survive, I'll send them off to Emma, and then maybe, Emma, you can sign them for for our Patreon listeners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I could probably send you a couple of uh, signed tokens as well. That would be awesome. Yeah, Inkling Custom was kind enough to do a, uh, a custom token in my likeness. The only trade-off is that she's allowed to sell it, but you know, I, uh, I'll find a way to power through that sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've, I've got some spare ones. She was nice enough to give me a bunch of them when she made them, and I've got a couple left over. That is awesome. And then um, if we do end up tearing a bunch of really awesome rares, I'll still send them to you and you can sign the torn rares. <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, I've got two boosters of Amonkhet. And just like the Trials of Amonkhet, if we get through these two, I have a pack of Modern Masters 2017. So we'll really up the cringe factor. How about that, Emma? That sounds great. I hope you rip the rare in half because then two people can get the signed rare. That would be hilarious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay, so I'm going to open one with the Sphinx on it. Amonkhet Booster. Okay, I hope you heard that. Okay, we're not going to oh, look. Yeah. We're not going to look, so we've got... Okay, so we're going to lay him down. Um, Emma, would you like to magically pick one? One through 15. One through 15? Um, nine is my lucky number. Nine is your lucky number. So I'm going to tear it. I don't know if you heard that. I'm just going to put that aside, and then I will flip a card. And I flipped a planes. Okay, Emma, please proceed. (laughs) Perfect. That means we're not ripping a planes. All right, Um, five. Five, okay. Okay, I don't know if you heard that. We tore it. The deed is done. Boy, okay, so I'm going to put these these torn cards in order, and then I'll flip one more. Uh, We have a quarry hauler. A common. We have our camel. All right. That got saved. All right. Emma, please continue ripping cards. One. One. Okay. I'm going to put this one all the way on the left. Ooh. I could, I could see the blue core. And we're going to flip one. Okay. We have. Hey, it wasn't a fake. Good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I have a festering mummy, another common zombie. So, uh oh. Wonderful. Uh oh. Wonderful. Um, six. Six. Okay. Oh, I'm getting a little nervous here. <laughs> okay, what else do we have? I'll flip one. Cartouche of Knowledge. <laughs> and we know Cartouche of Knowledge is a common. So we're getting a little deep here. Uh, the last one. The last one. Okay, the one on the far right. Yeah. Okay. Hear it a little nice ripping sound, and I'm going to pick one here. 
cartouche of solidarity. Okay, another comment. So I've been doing a great job flipping comments so far. So I hope the listeners aren't getting too nervous right now because I'm getting a oh, little I nervous. I'm, I'm feeling great about this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have um, five left. Five left, three. The one in the middle. Okay, here we go. Another tear. Oh boy. Every time you don't get snagged on it or having a hard, don't have a hard time, it's like, oh, well, I guess you didn't have to tear an expedition. <laughs> oh my goodness. We don't know. We don't know. Okay. So I just flipped Trespasser's Curse. Another common. My goodness. Yes. Okay. Three left. Left, uh, right, or center? Left. Left. Here we go. Okay. Uh, I'll pick, I'll pick this one here. Final reward. It is also a common. Oh boy. <laughs> We've got one left. So, what do we do when there's only one card left? Do we do we tear it or do we flip it? I don't know. What do we do? Um, what if you bend it in half so it's not torn, but it is decidedly damaged? <laughs> okay, I will bend it in half. <laughs> I will bend it in half. We're gonna turn this into uh, damaged D. Okay, and it is a trial of zeal that I bent. So clearly. I have some bad news. Okay, so shall we shall we look? Should we look at what it is? Oh, we got it. So the first one, nine, is a uh, sacred excavation. The second one that we tore is pursue glory. Oh boy. The third one that we tore is oh, there's our rare. There's our rare. Would you like to take a gander at what the rare is? Um, is it curator of mysteries? No, it is Sandworm Convergence. It's an enchantment. (laughs) (laughs) Creatures with flying can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a 5-5 green worm token. So, okay, not that bad. Not that bad. Okay, so what is that? Is that a junk rare? Is that a... eh, Yeah, that's a a not great one. Okay, so are we ready for our second pack? We did not pass that trial. We did not pass that. Wait, let's make sure there wasn't a foil. Oh, my goodness. You're right. Absolutely. Gosh, I'm like a pack noob right now. Okay. So, the- there's there's one more common, I think. And so, that means that could have been a foil. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, the next torn one was a hieroglyphic illumination. And yes. then, let's see. What was next? Watchful Naga. It's an uncommon Naga wizard. Which one is this one? I have Unwavering Initiate. And then the final torn card is Cartouche of Zeal. So we only tore one rare card so far. This is exciting. <laughs> Emma, shall we crack the second pack of Amonkhet? Honestly, yeah. I mean, what, what do we do? Not do it? <laughs> we have to. Okay. I'm, I'm a woman of the people. <laughs> so we got a sweet uh, embalmed uh, perforation card here. That's pretty sweet. So Rip it. Rip it. <laughs> okay. It was designed to be ripped. <laughs> There we go. We ripped it. Okay. So, no more embalming for us. Okay. 1 through 15, Emma. 9. 9. Okay. Right here. All right. We're going to tear this one. Okay. That's number 1. And then I will flip one somewhere towards the beginning here. Okay. It is Ta-Crop Skirmisher. Okay. A little grizzly bear. A little grizzly bear. Yep. Uh, uh, the second one. The second one. Okay. I dropped a card, but I'm going to flip one here. Shed weakness. Okay. The old grizzly bear giant growth flip. I'm starting to get a theme here. (laughs) Let's see. Okay. Four cards down. Rip the card you dropped. Okay. Rip the card I dropped. Okay. Here we go. Right in the middle. I picked it up, put it back in the middle. It's now torn. So, okay. All right. I've got it. Wow. I don't know. I don't know about... I see a lot of comments here. Consuming fervor. 
Okay, we're doing our thing. I don't know. I don't know if this rare is going to get saved out of this pack. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Listeners, how do you feel oh, about this one? Oh, I hope not. Okay. <laughs> uh, the fourth one. The fourth one. Okay. Nice tearing sound. Okay. Let's see. Oh, and of course, for the listening audience, we didn't just open the pack and just started like picking whatever. Obviously, they're in order. We obviously, you know, I, I did a little magic and I did shuffle them up. So these are random. So <laughs> um, the real magic. The real magic. Yeah, the real magic here. Okay, so I'm going to flip one here. Oh, I flipped a planes again. Oh, oh you're boy. pretty good at that one. I'm pretty good at that. Okay, let's see. Six more. Uh, five. Five. Okay. My goodness, I've never torn so many magic cards ever before. My goodness. Okay, I'm going to pick the one in the middle. Hyena pack, another common. Pretty oh good at that. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay, four left. Four. Number four. Uh, I will pick the one on the right. And that is another festering mummy. I'm very good at this. Uh, I'll pick the one on the right as well. Okay. Nice tearing sound. And the last one is, wow, we did it. We got there. No. <laughs> Glorious end. The mythic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Two red. Instant. End the turn. At the beginning of your next end step, you lose the game. So, we win. <laughs> we saved the mythic. So, this is awesome. Wow. What did we... Do we care about what we tore? Do we want to know? Um, you might want to see if there's a foil. Oh, that's right. Of course. Again. Yes. So, Horror of the Broken Lands was torn. Lay Bare the Heart was torn. Blighted Bat was torn. Minotaur Sure Shot was torn. Haze of Pollen, still still not a foil. Okay, two more torn cards. Uh, Ancient Crab, we have Shelly. Shelly was torn. And the final torn card, if I can pick it up, was Angler Drake. So no, no foils. All right, well, we save the Mythic in this one. Gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Gotta do. <laughs> gotta do. Emma, shall we play Flip It or Rip It on this pack of Modern Masters 2017? Uh, I'm gonna let you pick that one. This is, uh, you were the one who uh, got these packs, so I am not uh, qualified to decide if you are going to be tearing up Modern Masters cards. Let's do it. I think we're one for one here. I think uh, let's do it. Shall we? Uh, you know, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, that great pack sound, pack tearing sound. Okay, <laughs> and then let's just do a quick shuffle up here. We want to wanna make sure that we're shuffling up these cards. Okay. All righty. Emma, do us the honor of choosing a card to tear. Twelve. Twelve. There we go. Ooh. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna pick something towards the beginning. Let's go. Let's go with number three. I have Golgari Rotworm. Um, nine. Nine. Okay. Let's see. Tw towards the end here. Okay. Alrighty. And then I will choose. I'll continue from this end. I'll I'll pick number one. Crippling Chill. I'll pick the ninth one again. You'll pick the ninth one again. Okay. Let's see. Down towards the end. Okay. Uh, and then I will let's let's try one from the middle here. Urban evolution. It's an uncommon. Oh, I love that card. Okay, we saved it. <laughs> um, the ninth one. The ninth one. Okay, the ninth one. There we go. That one's torn. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna try somewhere in the middle again. Let's try number four. And Han Wire Lancer. Um, the first one. The first one. 
Wow. I feel like it's up to me to, it's, <laughs> I feel like it's up to me to save this. Uh, I don't it know. It is. You have to rescue the rare. I did, that's, that's right. I should have had it the other way around. I should have had you being the one rescuing the rare. <laughs> I oh, did not, no. I did no, not no, think no. this out. Okay. The f- that will not do. Okay. Let's see here. I'll pick the first one. Golgari Guildgate. Perfect. Okay. Go ahead, Emma. Um, we have five left. The middle one. The middle one. Okay. And then four left. Let's see. I'll pick the one at the end. It is Seagate Oracle. Wow. A lot of commons. Uh-oh. Three left. <laughs> um, the middle one. The middle one. Okay. I hope these tearing sounds are coming through well on the recording. Oh, oh they are. They okay. are music to my ears. Okay. I will pick the one on the right, and that is Night Terrors, another common. Oh, wow. Well, it seems bend like... Bend it. Uh, bend it. We're going to bend this last Decidedly one Decidedly damaged. Decidedly damaged. Okay. Let's take a look at what we bent. Uh, hungry Spriggan. <laughs> hungry Spriggan. Got Perfect. common. Okay. So, we did uh, rip the rare. Let's take a look yeah, at the damage. Did. Oh, boy. Did oh. we rip the foil as well? I, I don't know. I think we did because <laughs> I don't see any foils here. Ding. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, we ripped a lone missionary. We ripped a... Oh, here's the rare. Aether Mage's Touch. Or is it Aether Mage's Touch? Um, it is bulk. It is bulk. Okay. So, we feel <laughs> a little better about ourselves now. <laughs> you might. You I might. might. We also ripped a Banishing Stroke. And let's see. What else did we rip here? Oh, we ripped the foil. We had a foil explore. So, we could have ramped into this, this beautiful... Wow, the foiling looks even more beautiful when it's bent and torn. I gotta be honest, I was really hoping that two listeners would each get half of a foil Tarmogoyf. Oh gosh, that would just be wonderful. That would be like the new Goyf Gate. Yeah, like how cool would that be? <laughs> that would be amazing. We have a torn Orzov Guildgate. We have, let's see, a torn Centaur Healer. And our final torn card is, oh, this is, this is, you're gonna cringe. Path? Yes, it is a torn Path to Exile. Hey, that sounds to me like two listeners are going to be part of the magic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be sending this to you so you could sign these wonderful paths. Well, that this this path to exile definitely got exiled. My goodness. Oh, yeah, it is. It is uh, <laughs> are you familiar with the uh, unglued card AWOL? Yes, yes. I love that card. It is, it is. That card is not exiled. It is removed from the entire freaking game permanently. Yep. I guess this path to exile is definitely has gone AWOL. <laughs> Well, Emma, like all of my guests, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, F me up. (laughs) Okay. All right. Emma, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Um, probably green, but... It, that's not fair because I like blue-green decks the most. Uh-huh. I like doing things that apply pressure in, in green, but usually the blue in the deck implies some sort of tempo game being played or being tricksy or, I don't know, just letting you feel smart while you're kind of just beating down with a glistener elf or whatever card it is. So it's like, well, I'm I'm going to beat you with this one one for one, and I, but I'm going to feel like a genius afterwards. <laughs> so I also asked my guests what uh, color they would pair green with, and so you said you would pair it with blue. Definitely a simic mage in the um, tempo deck kind of way, not the Alain Trazi. I want to put fourteen drops in my standard decks kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I love blue green as 
as well. That sounds like a really powerful combination of being able to control. I guess if blue is like a control and tempo kind of a thing, and green is about very efficient creatures crashing in. So, Emma, rapid fire question number two: If you could change something about Magic: The Gathering, what would it be? Um. I guess to cover a few of them in the way of rules, I wish there was some sort of extra deck. Hmm. I think that would be really cool. I think it might ruin magic, so maybe not. But so I guess I wish. I guess wishes were more common, or some sort of effect like wishes. Interesting. Um, melding was close, but I, melding was just so clunky that I don't think it's reasonable. In tournaments, I wish that IDs weren't legal. Hmm. I think IDs are stupid and miserable. And IDs are intentional draws. Yes, exactly. You don't see, like in football, say two teams are locked for the playoffs. You don't see them just show up to the to the uh, stadium and go, "Well, you know, this match doesn't matter, so we're just not going to play it." Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, there would have to be some weird way for judges to enforce slow playing, or there'd have to be some sort of messy end of round procedure. But I and I don't know how to do it. But I think I think IDs are not close to the worst part of tournament magic. Mm-hmm. And socially, I wish the game was more inclusive and in that it was easier to report stores that were not inclusive for being crummy. Yeah. Yeah. Emma, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? This probably goes back to the the social things that we've talked about today, but probably just perspective. Mm-hmm. A bit more empathy. I think that's the the easiest thing or the the go to there. I guess that's a little more um a little more philosophical than saying I want to give everyone a black lotus, but. Yeah, um, that's probably the the thing in this hypothetical world of genies giving out wishes. I would uh, wish for people to be more empathetic and understanding. If it just has to be an object, I would probably just give everybody a playset of duels. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just that way, legacy could be more popular than it is now. Yeah, yeah. Emma, question number four: What do you see in the future of Magic: The Gathering? Oh, geez, I don't even know how to answer that. Magic is so. Amazing. And <laughs> Wizards does a really good job of incorporating new things to the game, so it's really hard to predict what exactly is happening. Um, I think magic coverage is going to get better, and that's not necessarily like me trying to be like, oh, it's going to be better when I'm a part of it or whatever. I think magic coverage is going to become more professional. I think Hasbro or whoever it is that's actually in charge of it just needs kind of a kick in the rear and someone important needs to see what other games are doing and how much better it is with other games. Mm -hmm. And if they can get that and go, look how successful these are, these other games are because of their marketing, then Hasbro or WotC, whatever, will stop skimping on their production costs. Maybe not cost, value might be the better word, but there are just so many little hiccups that I just can't believe are issues that keep occurring. Hmm. Just things that I, in in no world I could believe would be acceptable and for what are the things that are hosted and funded and backed by the parent company of the game. I just can't believe some of the things that slip through end up making their way to the live broadcast. You're talking about just like certain production issues in terms of Pro Tour coverage, or are you just talking about like, you know, little typos on flavor text of like cards or emergency bannings or just kind of all of that stuff? Um, I think all of the bannings 
lately have been a weird symptom of cards were not supposed to be played together. You know, Battle for Zendikar and um, Among Cat were not supposed to be legal at the same time, or at least when Among Cat was designed. But then that made a couple cards have to get banned, but it almost was like um, a house of cards where without those cards, keeping other cards in check. Some of the other almost busted cards are now super busted. Mm-hmm. Like there were cards that kept Gideon in check. Like Smuggler's Copter was kind of one of the answers to Gideon, but uh, it also plays well with Gideon. And now that it's gone, Gideon is just kind of the thing to do with creature decks, and unless you're a zombie deck, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, in production value, just yesterday, in the top four of the Pro Tour, one of Wizards' flagship marketing events, there was a slide about Grasp of Darkness that referenced, quote, Grasp of Darkness being able to kill standard creatures, Dragonlord Ajutai and Thunderbreak region. Oh, yes. And, and I just, I can't imagine a multi-million dollar company having that slip through on what is their their major event, their their biggest thing. That's them kind of showing what they've got. And that's what they've got. That's just, that is just, I, I can't imagine in what world that is acceptable. Yeah, that was a little odd. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> that's strange. <laughs> and I recognize that that's a small thing, but there were three or four different players in the top eight whose player cards had incorrect stats. So hmm. it's not just that there's one thing. That's just the most obvious thing that people can latch on and go, wait, no, those cards are not standard legal. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact at one point it said Jerry Thompson had three Pro Tour top eights when yesterday was his second one. Mm-hmm. Or um, it had, if I'm not mistaken, it had Yuya's um, Grand Prix wins incorrect. Like there were just tons of little things that I just, they just didn't have anyone check it. And that's just sloppy and it's lazy. And I want, I, I want Wizards to get better and I know they're ran by good people. And so I know it will get better. I just, <laughs> I don't know when and I, but I want it to be sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. There was also um, a recent uh, Access Magic, um, like little ad spot, like a little video on like Facebook, and like one of like the extras that were supposed to be like a magic player was like holding a magic card like upside down in their in their like hand that they were were, like playing. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, like a lot of people saw that. Was like, oh, okay, that's kind of funny. But uh, I totally agree with you. Like, you know, there's a lot of good people doing work, right? And like working really hard but like you know sometimes these little things happen and it's always like oh like what do we do mm-hmm. and last emma do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience like where they can find you on social media um well i guess in the uh in the in the request being like listen to my mixtape or whatever <laughs> um, uh, i have articles every thursday on star city they're currently on the select side um my i'm on twitter i have a public facebook page that you can follow i just kind of post like my feature matches there i post i go when i'm going live streaming um my twitch and my twitter are both mtg that's e-m underscore t-e-e-g-e-e and i have to say that that is like the best (laughs) that's the best twitter handle i've seen in a long time like mtg i was like i love it it was like punerific i just i really i love your twitter handle by the way (laughs) i appreciate it it was a it was just a double entendre between the magic the gathering and then emma transgender so i figured uh 
I would just, uh, I would run with it and it kind of stuck from there. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's my Twitch and my Twitter handle. And then you can also on Facebook, it's just facebook.com slash Emma Handy MTG. Just the letters M, T, and G after um, Emma Handy. <laughs> I know that one's a little confusing, but um, you can also just look me up on there and it'll probably come up. I have my token artwork as my profile picture on there. I think that's most of it. Oh, I recently started offering coaching. If any of uh, the listeners are interested in effectively uh, magic lessons, I do that over Skype for $15 an hour. That is sweet. And I started taking on a lot of students recently. And um, if I could get effectively a few more consistent and regular ones, I could probably just quit my day job and have magic be the full-time job. I love it. That's awesome. If I knew about that, I I would call you up and be like, give me some, I need some help with modern. <laughs> like, that's amazing. That's wonderful. It's an absolute blast. I, um, part of why I want to end up in coverage is I like, I feel like I have a mind for teaching and coverage is a way to do that to a mass amount of people is to teach them about magic. I just, I really think it's something I'm pretty reasonable. I have the, the mind and the knowledge for. I have all of my students learn different things. I have one on stand one on legacy and one who's primarily sticking to limited and they've all been loving it so far that is so awesome and just for the listeners i will have links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org to all of emma's like social media and twitch stream and everything like that so you don't have to worry about remembering everything so we'll have it there oh thank you and uh, Emma, I just wanted to thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to come on to Kitchen Table Magic and talk to the listening audience and talk to us. I really appreciate everything that you do, creating content, writing articles, streaming, also being a positive voice in this community for diversity and inclusiveness. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, I really thank you for you doing what you do. And I hope you continue on. Thank you so much for that. You're absolutely wonderful. And this has been a blast. This is one of the more fun, the flip it or rip it on uh, the interview. It just, uh, all of it was just a blast. And I loved being here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emma. Yeah, of course. Thank you, too. I hope I get to do this again sometime. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Emma Handy. Go say hi to Emma on Twitter at MTG. That's at E-M underscore T-E-E-G-E-E. Emma streams on Twitch with the same username at twitch.tv slash E-M underscore T-E-E-G-E-E. Emma is also on Facebook.com slash Emma Handy MTG. And this time it's the letters M, T, and G. And if you're a Magic player looking for an amazing coach to improve your game, Emma is available. I will also be sharing links to Emma's articles in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Just a few more announcements before we preview the guest for next week's show. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com/ktm.
This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Thanks everybody for listening to this week's show. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome and I hope you're loving the interviews. KTM is a fledgling podcast, but in the past year, tens of thousands of listeners have found the show. I want to make a podcast that's stellar in quality and meaningful in content. I'm now preparing for season three and my Patreon supporters will not only be helping me make the show, they'll be getting early access when season three premieres in the fall. If you would like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. For just a few bucks a month, you'll be getting access to extra audio content, behind-the-scenes show notes, and special gifts from my interviews. Patreon supporters at the $6 level get special gifts from my interviews. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by paying for audio equipment, software, and server costs. I'd like to thank all of my Patreon supporters, Brian, James L., Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M., Neil, James G., and Aaron C. for your generous contribution. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. Thank you. Be sure to follow the Kitchen Table Magic podcast on Twitter, at KTM Podcast. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash kitchen table magic podcast. Show notes and past episodes are at kitchentablemagic.org. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and mtgcast.com. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... You don't know where you're going to be in five years. And that was the miserable thing. My previous job had no opportunity for advancement, no opportunity to ever become full-time. What I was doing each day would be what I would be doing when I was 40, 50, 60. It would have been the grind. As far as this is concerned, I often wonder, am I going to be doing this in five years? 10? 15? 20? Is YouTube still a thing? Is magic still a thing? Am I still making relevant videos three times a week? Surely we'll transform in some, if not all of those areas into what? Into me going back to work at the community college? Maybe. I don't know. But there is also something exhilarating about this type of work because unlike my previous job, everything I do and everything I put out sees tangible return. I'm talking to Brian Lewis, better known as the professor of Talarian Community College. 
the professor, created the Magic Community's most subscribed YouTube channel, clocking in at over 200,000 subs. The prof and I sit down to talk about how it all got started, what's next, and the meaning of life, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.